A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zephyrath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The word of the Lord. Good morning, McLean. <laughs> It's wonderful to be here. Um, I'm in town for some pretty important moments. Of course, the ordination for Jennifer Hawks this afternoon. But I'll also be attending the executive committee meetings of both the Baptist Joint Committee and the Baptist World Alliance while I'm in town this week. Both are kind of home to me. But you've been on the lips and in the prayers of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. One of the things we do in our office every other week at our leadership team meeting is pray for all the churches going through a search process. And so we've been praying for you by name. And not only those names, but these wonderful leaders that you have here. Uh, Lane Smith has been in our office recently, and uh, of course, Katie and Meg. So I was just celebrating Katie's seminary, uh, the Baptist House of Studies at Duke. I was there uh, just night before last for a 30-year celebration 
uh, and she was spoken of so highly. And then I have a very special connection with Meg, because not only are she and I from the same church, but she was ordained on my birthday, <laughs> November 2nd, 2014. So if there's a, a sisterhood in ministry and a way in which God blesses us, it is the remembrance of such beautiful days. Let's pray. Word and words. Oh God, find us today with the word you have for us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. In our recent novel, The Invention of Wings, Sue Monk Kidd tells the fictionalized story of a real-life person, Sarah Grimke, who in 1803, for her 11th birthday, is surprised by her Charleston mother with the gift of a slave girl, also 11, Hetty. But even at 11, even in South Carolina, Sarah abhors slavery. And so she waits for the cover of night and descends down the stairs in her house to her father's library. Here's what she says. Without effort, she says, I located Father's South Carolina Justice of the Peace and Public Laws. I had thumbed through it enough to know somewhere in those pages was a copy of a legal manumission document. Upon finding it, I took paper and quill from Father's desk, and I copied it. I hereby certify that on this day, 26 November, 1803, I set free from slavery Hetty Grimke and bestowed this certificate of manumission upon her, signed Sarah Moore Grimke, age 11. <laughs> I couldn't have explained then, she says, how an oak tree lives inside of an acorn or how I suddenly realized that in the same enigmatic way, something lived inside of me. It was the woman I would become. But it seemed I knew at once who she was, and so I went up to the armoire in my bedroom. I took down my blue dress, and where the collar met was a large silver button with a fleur-de-lis inscribed on it, Using Father's hawk-billed letter opener, I sawed it off. Squeezing it in my palm, I prayed, Please, God, let the seed you've planted in me bear fruit. Well, it did. Although her mother would tear up that manumission document and punish her significantly, Years later, Sarah Grimke would take her place first as a Quaker minister and then become one of this nation's foremost voices as an early pioneer of abolition. Please, God, let the seed you planted in me bear fruit. The premise, of course, of this story is that there are seeds planted deep within us and these seeds bear remembering if they're going to bear fruit. They're planted there, but need nourishment. 
So that takes us to this Luke 4 text with Jesus just on the cusp of his ministry. Okay, he's out of the baptismal waters. He's been through the wilderness. And now Jesus comes home to Nazareth, to his church. He's already been in the villages of the Galilee, and the stories have been mounting about his miracles and works. People are amazed. And he shows up in his hometown synagogue. This will be the worship moment of his announcement of his ministry. And at first, there's great praise for him. And then, when he delivers this message that all of this is not just for them, the scripture says there's rage, rage among them. So the scroll is unrolled. It's unrolled to Isaiah. And what is it that Jesus is reading in this very moment? And what is he remembering? Well, first of all, he's projecting the future by teaching. He's not just reading it because it's the scripture of the day. He's chosen it for a purpose. What seeds, what seeds are sprouting here for Jesus? He begins by reading this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Of course, those are Isaiah's words, but not just Isaiah's words. It's very important personal voices that come into Jesus' ear and echo in this scripture. Just a few scenes before in Luke, we hear this very phrase. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, and it's the voice of Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Aunt Elizabeth, pregnant, surprised, delighted, confused, but surely the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me is the voice of his mother Mary in the Magnificat. She says, God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Even in her own Magnificat, she is speaking of this anointing for good news to the poor. And surely just from a few few scenes before when Jesus is at his baptism with John the Baptist in the wilderness, what did his cousin John the Baptist say? He says, whoever has two coats must share with he who has none. This is John the Baptist's admonition. Don't just talk about generosity. Act it out. Practice it. Jesus is remembering that the seeds of leadership are found in this upside-down priority of God's kingdom and these voices of these dear ones in his own family who have offered their lives completely to God, his mother, his cousin. Could he do less, no, more, and to bless them? Please, God. Let the seed you planted in me bear fruit. 
the second part of that Isaiah scripture. He says, because he has appointed me to preach release to the captives, to set the oppressed free, because he's anointed me to preach recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus, again, is remembering more than Isaiah. This sounds like John the Baptist all through Luke's gospel. He'll often use repentance and forgiveness of sin as just a summary of the whole gospel. But blind recovery of sight to the blind? Jesus is remembering that his call is exceptional, unique, Messiah, Savior. Wow. Fulfill this role. Let's be truthful here. This uniqueness of Jesus is not always comfortable. And certainly not in these miracles like healing the blind. I always think about that scripture that describes so much in detail. One of Jesus' healing moments where he uh, kneels down and actually spits into the dirt makes mud, picks it up with his fingers, smashes it around on somebody's face. That's a pretty awkward moment in Scripture, right? And yet, that is the kind of gritty miracle that Jesus is up to. He will heal many people of blindness, but not for the sake of the miracle itself, but as a way of teaching about the kingdom of God which is at hand. Blindness is about turning towards God through Christ. About the age of 10, my my daughter Mary Catherine came in one day pretty exasperated with Jesus. Mom, why didn't Jesus have showbiz miracles? (laughs) Why didn't he just fill up the sky with superheroes? I guess in truth, Jesus could have had miracles of extravagant pageantry. But he didn't. He chose miracles of healing, reconciliation, miracles for all generations, miracles for the ages. Healing and reconciliation are signs of the kingdom of God. Miracles put into our hands. Jesus is remembering that this seed of leadership is found in being set apart in often awkward moments, but in the place of witness for God. Please, God, let this seed you've planted in me bear fruit. And he finishes that Isaiah reading with this final phrase. Because he has anointed me to preach the favorable year of the Lord. More than Isaiah, it echoes the very song to be sung What is a favorable year of the Lord? We think of it in our imaginations as a year that would be 100% great, right? But every year is the favorable year of the Lord, and no year is 100% great. But it is about God who's looking deeply into the recesses of people's souls, and in this moment, in Jesus' very announcement of his ministry, God is about to sear love into all history as the final word. This will be the favorable year of the Lord. 
a time when light comes to darkness and the lowly are lifted up by this gracious activity of God and through Christ to all people. So sustaining, so expansive. The favorable year of the Lord and now God is on the move. Christ is announcing his kingdom in Nazareth. But every Sunday, in every worship, Today, we worship here in this place, in this time zone. But between the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship churches across the United States and our missionaries in 30 countries around the world, your fellow Christians will be celebrating worship in every time zone on the earth. In 28 languages. The favorable year of the Lord. Christ is announcing his kingdom in every worship. And this is often the fear of our calling, isn't it? Not that there will be nothing to do, but that there will be something very great to do. What if that day in Charleston, Sarah Grimke had taken her mother's punishment to heart and never again spoken of slavery? What if that day in Nazareth, Jesus had only remembered the angry, belittling voices of his friends and family in Nazareth. What if pushed to the edge of that cliff by the chorus of a disgruntled hometown? What if that had stopped him right there? That criticism? By the grace of God, it didn't. He was led out of the city with the echo of the Magnificat in his ears, with the echo of the joy of Elizabeth, with the fervor of his cousin John, with the echo of that very angel song that was sung at his birth, and setting his face toward the future, the scripture says. He left Nazareth for ministry. Surely, one of his prayers was, Please, God, let what you've planted in me bear your fruit. So God's given each of us seeds, right? Planted in us for his kingdom. This is the favorable year of the Lord. We're born into this time and it's asking something of us. What will we do with this great love of God? God has brought us to the front porch of global faith and we're beckoned towards stronger relationships with Baptist Christians around the world. Our work in every congregation is to build resilient disciples in every corner of the world, in spite of our cultural and interpretive differences, there is so much to follow Jesus. Faced with that searing image and the, of the students from Parkland High School, it left me with a feeling of such helplessness and yet such connectedness. In a small gesture of Christian solidarity, I spoke their names in prayer aloud of those 17 
We have so much connectedness for the favorable year of the Lord because the acts and the lives of just ordinary Christians engaged in acts of love bear repeating. I I was thinking as I was praying for those students about another young woman, Kayla Miller, who was uh, executed in a tragic way by ISIS in Syria. And we would not know of her except for a letter that survived from her captivity to her parents. She was a faithful woman. And her letter says this, Mom and Dad, I've come to a place in my experience where in every sense of the word, I've surrendered myself to our creator God. Because, and then she put a plus sign, plus God and another plus sign, plus your prayers. I have felt tenderly cradled in free fall. Krista Tippett, in On Being, remarked, This letter to her parents reminds me of my reading of the mystics and and saints across the age, Jillian of Norwich and Mother Teresa. Our world is abundant with quiet, hidden lives of beauty and courage and goodness for the sake of Jesus Christ. There are thousands, if not millions of people at any given moment, young and old, giving themselves over to service, risking hope all the while ennobling the gospel. When Jesus pulled those fishermen away from the shore and said, you, you will be fishers of men, he was making of all disciples a net to catch the world in free fall. And although heavy laden, it will not break. So then today, Accept the unfinished business of your life as a Christian in your ministry and service. You don't know which impartial, imperfect, unfinished part of your life will be a part of God's golden theme. So be as diligent to voice potential as you are to assess limitations or blame Lend your hand to Jesus' hand because we're not in charge of the inspiration and the arc of our lives towards God's great kingdom. We are in charge of our obedience. We're not alone. We're held in this fertile imagination of God for blessing. So don't be stingy. Don't be catty. Don't be small. Lead someone. Be contagious. Jesus Christ has planted within you the beginnings of God's glory. Let the seed planted in you bear fruit.